This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am Josh Heath, and we are joined by Carrie. Hello. And today we are talking about Book of the Weaver. Before we dive in and talk about Book of the Weaver, though, I want to remind folks that we have a Patreon. If you want to become a patron, you can go to Werewolf the Podcast on patreon.com and become a patron. You can also join our Discord once you have become a patron. And that will be a great segue into either playing a World of Rage, their persistent online uh, Discord game, or you can just hang out with us and chat and be invited to private discussions and hangouts and things like that that we have um, generally once a month when things are not crazy. And uh, you also get access to works in progress and things like that. And things like that. There are some awesome. Uh, benefits to being a patron. So come by the Patreon and join us and do that thing. The Discord is pretty popping, actually. It is. And there's lots of like fun conversations about the game and about uh, the new video games and things like that that are coming out. So some cool stuff out there. I'm weirdly conflicted about the new video game. I also am kind of conflicted about it because I want it to be good, but I know it's going to be a first player like right. you're only one tribe and it's going to be a beat em up sort of game. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I it mean, might be great. But that is werewolf, but it isn't. Yeah. It is. yeah. Yeah. If they can harness the spiritual elements as well as the beat em up stuff, then they'll be good. But I don't know. I don't know how it'll work. The visual for the Umbra looked cool. It did look really cool. So there's, there is still hope. And there's going to be a gameplay video coming out on the 7th, I think, 7th of July. So this, mm. it may already be out by the time this episode goes out. Um, so we are in the past or maybe the future or maybe right now, depending on when this goes out. Um, but yeah, um, I'm interested to see what comes to the game. And I'm certainly going to get it and I'm going to play it when it comes out. And I'll probably live stream it uh, so folks can get... Uh, a hint of what the game is about when we finally get to that stage. So I don't play video games, but I like to backseat play video games, mm. which means I sit there and I go, oh God, you're going to get kicked. Ah, 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 you know, and that's how my brother got through Legend of Zelda. But uh, that's a good way probably for this video game though, to actually have someone doing that. It'd probably add a lot of tension to maybe, it. <laughs> maybe I'll backseat werewolf for you. There we go. That would be a good idea. I'll yeah. let you know when I'm streaming it. Hit him more. <laughs> I'm hitting him as much as I can. Do it better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so today we're talking, in, in theory, we are going to talk about Book of the Weaver today. If um, we ever get there. If we ever get there. I think this is a very interesting book that is filled from cover to cover with lots of material, and we're not going to cover all of it. Um, there's 
probably no way we're going to cover everything that's in here. There's so much in this book. Yeah. Um, and it's all of a high quality, a, of a high caliber. There are some things that maybe aren't like on the same level, but it is definitely a book that is crammed full of stuff. So if you are a storyteller, you are probably going to find something of interest within this book. Let me go by the numbers. So it's been a little while since we recorded one of these. So I am rusty. So you're going to get a lot of ums and ahs from me today. That's what the edit button's for. Yep. I might use it. We'll see. <laughs> um, so this book was written by Sue Armstrong, <clears throat> Dina McKinney, Ethan Skemp, Sven Skoog, developed by Ethan Skemp. Um, the editor was Eileen E. Miles. And artists are Steve Ellis, Jeff Holt, Steve Prescott, Ron Spencer, and Drew Tucker with the front cover art by Steve Stone and the back cover by Steve Prescott. I was shocked at the small amount of names that were involved with this book for as much stuff as in it. Yeah. Like there's just, it's, it's a, it's a good sized book and it's, there's not a lot of fluff. And so like these people really put a lot into it yeah. for the amount of, you know, like it, math wise yep it definitely is that type of book that um they didn't waste page count they definitely had uh probably excess material from this i would imagine it's 126 pages and from cover to cover it seems like they knew what they wanted to talk about and um they did so so yes pretty solid it has intent it does it and i think it the, one of the intents is to show how to use the weaver as an antagonist. Yeah. And with that as kind of like a focus as this is an antagonist book for Werewolf the Apocalypse with the weaver as the big bad guy, which as everybody knows, I've been saying for years now, mm -hmm. the weaver's the bad guy. Well, this book is like, if you want to make the weaver the bad guy, this is the way that the weaver is the bad one. Yes. Um, and... With that, why don't we talk about the cover and thoughts about the front cover uh, first. So I'm so excited about this cover. I love it. I love it. This cover is perfect. It is everything that is terrifying about the Weaver. It's taking, you know, the front cover is a Garoon Krinos clearly jacked into the, the machine. Mm -hmm. The main... You know, obviously the border is the same colors that all werewolf color covers are. That weird, like, purple-orangey, slightly unsettling combination of colors. But then the actual cover artwork is this cool blue color. Everything is cold feeling. And I just, the weaver feels like it should be cold. It's um, super metallic. It's it's definitely yeah. got that feel to it. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And like the artwork is clear. Like I don't look at this and go, I can't tell what he's doing. You know, he's clearly uh, doing something weavery. And um, I even like at the bottom of the artwork, there's a little bit of stuff that looks like that may have been done like superimposed with the computer. Mm -hmm. on top and it that feels right 
Like, like usually I'm like, oh no, don't mix your medias. But like this, I'm like, yes, this is perfect. This is how you're supposed to mix media. It's super good. Yeah, I agree. This is one of my favorite covers of all time for Werewolf because it's mm -hmm. so thematic. You can look at this and you know, oh, wow, something is definitely going on here. I want to know what the story is behind this scene. Yeah, there's. I, I, I think maybe they're in some kind of umbral city or weaver realm or something. The background feels like maybe there's a... a I don't want to say ghostly, but that umbral ghostly feel mm -hmm. uh, back to it. But you can tell like there's a lot of stuff behind them. And, and I just, I love, I love the cover. It's so good. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And it's, it, it, like I said, there's a story behind here. And I think you're right. It's in a Weaver realm. It's probably in the cyber realm or it's mm -hmm. in Scar or one of those places where it's like this Glasswalker most likely is deep involved, invested, connected to this Weaver machine. What does that mean for them? Will they survive it? Do they want, are they in control of it? It's all kind of unclear, but there's tons of right. like storytelling potential there. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so, so good. And even the back cover I love. Yeah. Oh, the back cover is a Garu in a, a, a Bakta tank, which I think is fantastic. Um, I want to know more. Like, why is he in this tank? What's happened? So I have a weird, this book was really weird for art for me mm -hmm. because usually the artwork in the books is just flavor for the book. This artwork actually, they must have handed them the, the little sidebar stories because they actually follow some of those stories. Yeah. Like they're one of the pictures they talk about, um, th they talk about something happening in the story and then you look at the, the drawing that's next to it and it is what is happening in the story. Right. And I've not seen that in any White Wolf books before that clear. Yeah. This is the first time I think they actually set the manuscript down before they did art direction. Okay. They, they were very clear. And um, Eileen Miles is actually listed as the art director for this. And some of the other books have an art director, but I, I notice that this one is one of the first ones that I've, that I've specifically seen, hey, their art director is called out. And I have a feeling that they were like, we need to have our art as closely related to what's happening in this book as possible to yeah. help tell the story. There's also, an, I want to, talking about the back cover art real quickly, I noticed that there's a number five on the tank. And I, just like a real little note number five on the tank. And I don't know why that stuck out with me when I first glanced at the book. And then in one of the drawings in the book, there is a guy that's clearly been altered somehow that has a number five patch on him. Oh, wow. And I was like, ah! Like, I love that. Yeah, it's weird how those things intersect. And that, this book does a lot of that, where it's like, I'm going to loop in ideas either from other books or from this book um, and have everything kind of intersect with each other. It's actually really well threaded together as a book. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was super impressed. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, which... 
it, that actually brings me to the first piece of art in the book, which is about the story that goes alongside with that piece of art, which is about an iron rider that got sucked into the wor- uh, the weaver's influence. I almost said the worm's influence. No, in this case, <laughs> the actual bad guy, the weaver, um, pulled into the weaver's influence and absorbed into the one song, which is this idea that the weaver exists as a single, like, musical, like, note throughout the universe, which I find super cool and fascinating. And I'm like, that is a story hook right there. Like, you can start having people hear this song. And they're like, what is this weird music I'm hearing? And then you're like, oh, that's the weaver. And you can slowly build that madness in. It falls into the concept that everything is math. Yeah. And because, you know, I, I have that argument as an artist all the time when people tell me that math, when people, artists try to argue that math isn't important. And I'm like, that's all art is. Right. What are you doing? You know, art is the, your art, math is the universal language mm-hmm. for everything. And, and so like, you know, like it just, it just, that just um, strengthens the idea that the one song is just a giant math equation. Yes. Because all music is his math. Right. And so, you know. And that idea, that like concept of like math made uh, audible is like mm-hmm. super neat. And it's like a human story also because we've been doing math and music connected for thousands of years, kind of understanding the interplay of those two things. Or more importantly, not understanding. Right. Which, like we, we just do it instinctively. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is even like weirder when you start to think about it or you start to see math in nature, like in Fibonacci sequences and things like that. And you're like, wow, this Nautilus shell follows the Fibonacci scale. Right. And that's oh, no. <laughs> so weird, but so cool all at the same time. And you're like, insects have all these like mathematical uh, like systems that they seem to follow, which fits into the weaver so well. Um, yeah. I think this story is super cool because one, I like the Iron Riders. Um, I think they're probably the coolest part of the Wild West. We're actually going to be diving back into the Wild West in our next couple of reviews. Um, our next few books are all Wild West books, so we could spend some time with the Iron Riders. And I think this is an interesting book to like link into um, that history for the Weaver and the history for the Glasswalkers. Um, for a f- a f- the first time, I feel like the historical books are actually relevant to the modern era and they try and link those things in. And it's one of the first times they've actually done that successfully in yeah. uh, these werewolf books, at least. So the, uh, the, the story you're talking about? Mm-hmm which I haven't described really at all. But I know, yes. <laughs> I know. Like, like you started to and you stopped. It's got my favorite line in the whole book in it. Okay. And I'll tell you afterwards. So tell the story, tell, talk about the story and then I'll. Okay. So it, it, it I'm going to just give a brief overview. It's an iron rider that uh, hack, seems to hack in from the one song into someone's email. And I think, uh, or their, uh, yeah, it's the Microsoft Office uh, program, maybe Word, maybe Outlook, I don't know. Um, and they're just trying to explain 
who they are, what they are, the history of the Glasswalkers through the context. What's that? They're trying to give a warning. Yeah, exactly. And be like, look, the Weaver is not what you think it is. Like, back off now before it devours you like it devoured me uh, because mm -hmm. this is not a good thing. This is not something you want. That's my general take on it. Okay, yeah, and that's absolutely correct. Um, it, like, this whole story made me feel like I wanted to run a plot for them to go rescue him. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, it was just like, oh, no. But my, my favorite is, my favorite line in this whole book, and it's really not, it doesn't have anything to do with Weaver necessarily, but, like, the way they describe he gets into a fight and he and he's talking about the fight so he says i fought back with all my strength and it was enough his concubine splintered and jellied under my talons <laughs> and i just thought of fighting something that turned to jelly was the grossest feeling like i could feel it under my fingers as it was said and i was like ew yeah and that's such a what do you do with it sort of situation for a werewolf who's like I rend and tear things and they die and this thing turns to goo. Yeah, you. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was just good stuff. I just was like, ooh, I actually wrote it down because I was like, that's great. Yeah, there's lots of like hooks like that throughout this book where it's like, there's just a line or two mm -hmm. where there's a neat idea that's wrapped into some other things that they're talking about that it's like, I can use that. I can steal that and run a story with it. Which is super worthwhile. Yes. And that brings us into the introduction, which I don't know if you have any thoughts about the introduction or the art in this introduction in particular. As I read these books, my daughter, who's almost 11, is, is becoming really interested in gaming. Mm -hmm. And while I'm very okay with her knowing about Guru, there's some aspects about the game. I'm like, you're only 11. Let's not. But she, she asked me, she goes, what is the weaver? And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and so I gave her the real basic concept of the triad and Gaia and, and all of the, you know, all of it and told her the story about the, the weaver trapping the worm. And she goes, well, that's dumb. <laughs> I said, oh, you're going to be a great werewolf. Okay. And she goes, no, she goes, why are they all just fighting? Why aren't they just rescuing the worm from the weaver? And I was like, oh, you get it. You not make for society, but you, you get it. <laughs> you picked up the implication that lots of other people seem to miss. Yeah, I was like, you know, whether on purpose or not. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Um, that being said, I love the way this book is written. Mm -hmm. I It cracks me up so hard because when, when you were like, we're going to read the book of the Weaver, I was like, this is going to take me five days to read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be so bored out of my mind because it's the Weaver. The Weaver should be boring. Mm -hmm. There should be nothing exciting. And then like right into the introduction, they're like, so the Weaver is like your barren aunt. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is the funniest thing I've ever read. You know, who, who wants desperately to be motherly but doesn't have kids of her own? Mm -hmm. 
and is and really would, good about uh, of be, uh, being a mother either. Yeah, but wants to and right. isn't going to take advice from anyone. Right. And I, this book is so sassy. There's not another word I can think of for this book. Like this book is all like, you don't know nothing about the weaver. <laughs> Let me tell you, she's a pain in the ass. You know, and you're just like, yes, she is. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, like it, it's wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Um, the artwork in this book is, it's a little all over the place style wise. Mm-hmm but it all still kind of works. Like nothing in this book was so jarring that I went, Oh no, that doesn't right. work. Right. Um, there's, there's a fun drawing on page 13 in the, in the first chapter that we're talking about. Um, I understand what they were going for, but the problem is he just looks like the Joker. Right. And so unfortunately the Joker is so iconic that that is stronger than any werewolf theme. <laughs> Um, but my favorite part of that picture is actually the drawing, the photo he has in the drawing of his perfect family, but they all have these insane smiles on their faces. Mm-hmm. And it just, that cracks me up like super a lot. <laughs> There's so many layers in this picture where I'm like, this is a creepy image mm-hmm. where it's like the weaver is pulling back this guy's or this some sort of technology is pulling back this guy's eyes and mouth. So he's just staring at this computer. His hands are all bent and twisted from being like there for however long. Yeah, they actually look arthritic. Right? Yeah. And there's almost a spider-like quality to them too. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of layers into this where it's like, this is a neat piece of art that is saying something different than when you look at it initially, you're like, ooh, that's creepy. But then there's like, little layers into like what is this telling me about this book about this story this this piece of art actually reminds me of my favorite white wolf art ever Mm. the piece of changeling artwork where it's a red cap and he's getting ready to eat somebody's elbow and it's the most ridiculous like like everybody in the drawing has a ridiculous goofy look on their face Mm -hmm. and like the guy whose elbow is getting ready to be eaten is just going oh you know like he's got this like surprise like goofy look on his face but the more you look at it you're like that's terrifying because it's right. not like he's biting off his hand he's biting off his elbow which also takes your hand right but also takes another level of mobility away from you and red caps are terrifying as is and you know you're it's not just bitten off it's gonna get eaten and and like the idea like this like ridiculous guy is being forced to work and on top of it like there's a post-it note in the back that says bring home hamburger right clearly he got a call from his wife yep and he just like slapped that reminder on there yeah and it's just it's it's this wonderful juxtaposition yep absolutely and this book is filled with these both from a writing standpoint and a visual standpoint where like (laughs) There's this whole uh, sidebar about the one song here about and Weaver Tongue, and um, it references things like um, in the insect an- analogy and Jung's Spiritus Mundi, and this uh, the idea of uh, of a hive mind of intelligence connecting everything in the universe. It's 
there's so much layer there where it's like there's some philosophy there's some spirituality there's some just gamified stuff all like chunked together where you're like i can i can use this i can do something with this yeah which i think we're probably going to mention that over and over again because it's the main thing that i keep coming away from this book with like i can use this for something i can use this for a story so so I'm going to, this maybe should be said at the end, but I'm going to say it right now. I'll say it at the end as well. This book was written for storytellers. Oh yeah, clearly. And it is actually, like, it is not, you know how the Book of the Worm, we were talking about how it was creepy because it was written like, you want to play these things. Yeah. You don't want to play these things. Right. You want to fight these things. You know, and the tone of the book isn't like, look how cool it is. It's like, look how complex this is. Look at what you're up against. Right. Look how and, horrifying this is. Yes. And um, I think that that's a way better tone for a book. Yep. About antagonists to be. Yep, completely. And there's a whole section which we're going to touch on later, I think, which is about drones and drones being the uh, weaver version of Banes, and Banes being the spirits that uh, the worm uses to control things and do horrible things and so forth and so on. Drones are way more horrifying. Yeah, because you keep some of yourself. Right, but you oh. lose almost all of yourself at the same time. It's terrible. Yeah, it, you just become this puppet of the weaver and of this, the one song and everything. And that to me, losing my individuality within this stream of everything else that wants to calcify and reduce everything to perfection. Mm-hmm. That like that whole idea is just there. It's creepy. And they do a really good job of making sure you understand why it's creepy in this book. It is. Yep. Um, which incidentally brings us to chapter one which we're already, you know, a little, about a half hour into this, you know, discussion of the book and we're at chapter one. Oh goodness. That's okay. That's, we've talked about a lot of good stuff in this book already. So um, this book, this chapter is about history and about the weaver's version of the beginning of, of everything. And, but also like, from an outside perspective, looking at the weaver's actions and going, the weaver's totally messed up here. And her decision, her, its decision, their decision, whatever, to take any of these actions is totally messed up. I feel like this book is a lot clearer on explaining, even if they go, this is the weaver's version of it. It's still a lot clearer and easier to connect the dots mm-hmm. and place it in the white wolf timeline than a lot of other books. Like it feels like they were like, all right, we got to give them one where we just tell them what happened. <laughs> I think you're right. I think they were like, we're just going to lay out the story as straight as we can. Yeah. With uh, sure. An unreliable narrator, but this is as straightforward as I've seen this story without like embellishment in a weird, like, like yeah. I'm obfuscating a true, uh, uh, truth or making an enigma here or whatever. Right. Like I actually, when I read this, I went, Oh, this is probably the closest we're ever going to get to the truth. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's like terrifying because she's the bad guy. Right. But, but like that's that's what makes the Weaver so scary is she's the bad guy. You know, however you want to define that. You know, she's the antagonist, but she's also truthful. Right. Upon herself. And that's even more creepy when you think about it. When the Weaver is like, "Hey, I'm upfront. This is what I'm about." Like, mm-hmm. and if you're on board with that cool, come hang out and I'm just going to take you over and make you one of my drones. And if you're not cool with that, that's okay. I'm just going to take you over and make you one of my drones. Or you're a statue. Right, right. Or I'm just going to completely nullify your ability to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, It's creepy. (laughs) So to reiterate that point, um, (laughs) I like that they say that the first thing in the universe was Gaia here. And the books have reiterated that enough for me to realize that I think I had a, like it backwards where I thought the triad came first. But with this book, I'm like, okay, if this book is saying Gaia came first and then the triad, then I'm all right with that. All right. So I understand what you're saying. I disagree because it okay. doesn't make sense. It okay. doesn't make sense that Gaia would be first. You're right. I agree with you. Like, the triad should be first. Right. Because they're the universal forces of the universe. Right. And then Gaia, you know, Earth, you know, just... Right. Earth happens to be the center of everything. That's really conceited of us. <laughs> well, it's very human-centric, this game. Yeah. To begin yeah. with. Yeah. So, anyway, so, like, it just, again, math-wise, it doesn't make sense that the weaver, the wild, and the worm are less powerful than Gaia. Okay. So we'll just agree, like, that from our it's perspective, weird. that yeah. the triad are the original forces of the universe. Mm-hmm. Which I can get behind. I Because that was my initial take, and then I've read all these books now, and I've gone, they've always said the opposite, and for some reason I got it in my head that they waffled back and forth, but... Yeah. Well, I I think that it might be more players decided Gaia was second right because it made more sense but sometimes game designers don't see things when they're right in front of them that makes you know they get something they're oh Gaia was first and then she made these three you know and it's like why would she make those three right they would make her well exactly because this the creation is a uh, a form from what those three things would create right the wild would birth creation and the wild would or the weaver would you know make it into its own thing and then the worm would destroy bits and pieces of it and slowly like take it apart mm-hmm. it, yeah it's my, my daughter was very funny when i was explaining the triad she was like oh like lion king and i was like yes <laughs> <laughs> yes just like that well just like that in fact there is a lot of betrayal, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, Hamlet and the Lion King are a very good like reference point for. Huh. <laughs> um, wow. So I think this is a really good chapter that kind of explains a lot of what we've been talking about, talking about you know people and the Weavers' influence on humanity particularly on humanity, like humanity are weaver's children. The weaver yeah. actually at one point like 
goes down and touches um, humanity and is like, you are going to be mine. Yeah, she, she basically adopts them. Right. And looking at us as a species, I can see that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we are absolutely a, a mammalian insectoid taking over our everything we see in front of us. So that is a gross image now that I'm thinking about it more. I don't, ugh, ugh. Move on, <laughs> but, move on. <laughs> moving on from there, it talks about the uh, three seeds of what the weaver, how the weaver impacts us. And I think these are really cool. Um, those seeds being dogma, science, and technology. The science one, I understand from a game point, mm-hmm. but it kind of hurts my heart. Yeah. Like, because like, to me, scientists are always kind of like heroes. Mm-hmm. They're striving forward, not just to make the world better and all this stuff, but just like the the need to for to learn knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like I, I that always feel felt a little bit wildy to me. Even while it's like contained why you know, the wild, it's contained, but there's still the spark of the wild in there. Um, and this book was just like, nope. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> One of the problems with White Wolf as a whole is they were at this time very anti, at least in the writing, very anti-technology and anti-science. Not necessarily because I think the people that wrote them believed that, but they were seeing like some of the dangers of science and technology in our world and some of the like overflow and places it goes wrong. And they're like, well, if you just focus on those things and you don't focus on humanity, you're losing like the reason we're doing all of these things. Um, Yeah. And I mean, I get why they focus that way for the book. They need a bad guy. Right. Yeah. I get it. But like, as a reader, I was like, but, but science. science." And I, I like that dichotomy because we can play with that as a story hook and say, you know, some science is good. Yeah. And most of it is, designed about like is dynamic and is about pushing the envelope and learning more mm-hmm. and gaining more awareness. And then sometimes science is, a, is taken in the wrong dang way. Yeah. And we just need Absolutely. to be careful of those moments. Yeah. There's no, there's no, it's all the wrong way in this book though. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ultimately everything in here is about like the worst things can be. Um, Oh man, there's so much cool stuff in this chapter as I'm flipping through it again that I'm like, I want to talk about that. Um, in like in particular, the realms and the different incarna, the machine, the patriarch. All of these are cool hooks, but I don't know how much time we want to spend on each of these different things. Okay, then I will just say the one thing that I found in here that I was super excited about in this little section Mm -hmm. um when they first start talking about the umbra and the pattern web Mm -hmm. um they talk about i think it's older brother is talking about turtle the croatin spirit totem Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because everywhere else i've read that i can remember anyway they they say that turtle is dead right in this section they don't say that right they say that some of them believe that turtle is trapped 
that's very different. Yes, it's incredibly like, different. Very different. And I was like, oh, oh, there's the story. Which is, again, what this book is so super freaking good for mm -hmm. is layering in little story hooks where you're like, oh, maybe we can go save Turtle and I have know, that cool be a hope. Oh, that would be great. That would be an amazing story. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was, I, I just want to keep, you know, like, it, we need to just keep saying, like, this book has so much in it that you can literally open a page, just point at a paragraph and go, I'm going to run a plot about this and then read the paragraph and go, there's my plot. Yep. So much here. And you can do that literally in any chapter of this book. Like even mm -hmm. in chapter two, which is Weaver Tech, which is just like, oh, here's just like fetishes and talons and different mechanical stuff. There are literal story, story hooks in every one of these items. And you could literally go, hey, I'm going to uh, just pick easy money. And easy money, I'm going to write an entire story about this yeah. talent. And you really, you yeah. literally could do that. Yeah, absolutely. And there are mech suits in here. So for anyone that's wanted to, you know, yeah. have a mech suit in a werewolf game or a World of Darkness game, this is your chance to have one. So opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, is, was there anything in particular, I know there was one of these that you mentioned to me specifically that you're <laughs> like, oh, hey, this is super cool. Um, was there anything else that you're like, hey, I want to talk about this? I do want to say real quickly, uh, to mention the cyber dogs real quickly. Oh, yeah. I know, like, that's the thing everybody thinks is cool and wants to play, and I think they are totally not suitable for PCs. Sure. It, it drives me nuts when people are like, I want to play a cyber dog. I'm like, great, you've got one session. Right. And then everyone turns on you. <laughs> yeah, because they're completely absorbed into the one song and the whole Weaver, like, control part. So they're, it's, not, it's not a safe character concept to really dive it is into. Not. I mean, it's great if you want to do it one time, let's see what happens. Right. You know, but most people don't. Like, they want to, they, they want, they want to have machine gun arms right which no. you can do that there's technology in here for for that whole idea but whether or not it's healthy for you or you're not going to end up destroyed by all the other guru you know right all right let's see da, 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 da. oh um okay so i'm skipping ahead to page 51 there is a shadow sim projector i wanted to mention it's yes. a it, it 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 basically is a um, umbral umbral VR kind of deal, and I thought it was fascinating because like they can basically transport things from the umbra to Earth or people from Earth to the umbra, and I don't believe you have to have gnosis to be able to use it. Nope. Like I, it, it, and so like the idea that they're breaking down the barrier literally they're breaking down the veil and it works the exact opposite way for garu where instead of it being harder in the city it is easier the more weaver techie it is for them to enter the umbra yeah and i just that was that was super duper cool i thought that was fun there's a lot of different drugs yes strangely 
Like, I, I always thought the drugs would have been in the Wormy book, but they're in the Weaver book. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like drugs and that the technology to create pharmaceuticals is actually pretty weavery. Yeah, absolutely. But the effects you would think would be wormy. So I, yeah. I do like how this book talks about how the weaver and the worm are opposing forces, but they often are holding hands. Yep. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, I, there's an interesting, um, this book has a lot of, I love to play that in a vampire game. I'd love to run into that in a mage game. I'd love to deal with this in a changeling game. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's an eternity drug that makes people, it's kind of like the fountain of youth. It makes them a little younger and keeps them the same age. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, what a fascinating thing for a vampire to have to deal with. Right. You know, like, you know, like that's super cool. Um, but the thing that I called you about I lost my mind. So, what was it? Uh, when we were reading the, the Book of the Worm, mm -hmm. there is this whole sec, you know, like a whole several paragraphs on aliens. Yes. And it is so weird and <laughs> so bizarre and so out of place. Because they're just like, oh, by the way, there's these two alien species that live in the middle of the earth. Bye-bye. You know, they give you very little on them, and it's right. frustrating. So I became a little obsessed, just a little bit, and I Googled them, and I tried to see what else they were in in White Wolf, and the only other place that the White Wolf wiki says they are in, that they are is on a rage card. And I was like, well, table flip. <laughs> this is really frustrating. But lo and behold, on page 57... They are mentioned in the Medusa talent. Yep. Apparently they, and I'm not sure if, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce uh, Vujunka. Vujunka, yeah, I think. Vujunka. Um, it doesn't say if this is uh, the material that they make the Medusa talent out of. It comes from their realm. But it doesn't say if it comes from them or if it's just grown, you know, like, and right. it doesn't say how you get this material. Right. So I don't know, but they, they talk about them being in the deepest caverns that are lined with fossilized remains of unwary once trespassers. Ooh. And they talk about extra Gaian planes. Right? What, what's that? Like, th there's been no reference to extra Gaian planes before yeah. in any of these books? Yeah. Throw that out there. Which, what does that mean? Like, I, I love that story hook. Because it's like, oh, wait, there are other possible, like, planes of existence that have, or, like, realms that have not been discovered. Well, I, I found a correlating thing that I didn't tell you about. On page 60, when they talk about the slip, the slipstream. Yep. Did you pick it up? I don't know exactly which uh, bit you're okay. talking about with it, but I remember like um, seeing that. Uh, so the slipstream is this goop that you pour onto an object, and then once it hardens, you can pass it through the veil to other things, mm -hmm. like through the veil to the umbra. And... But then the last paragraph, they're like, sometimes when you pass an object through to the, through the veil, 
it comes out damaged with claw marks. And they're like, so something in the veil is attacking it, implying that it's going, like it, it, the, the way the paragraph is written, it implies that the veil is another place. Right. And so then suddenly, like that opens up all these possibilities that there is a, there, there's a dimension between the Gaian realm and Umbra, and that whatever lives there is really negative and doesn't yeah. like us. Which is fascinating. Like, what is going on there? What is there? Is can Garu get there? Can they even like find a way right. into that? Space? Is that what happens when you get stuck in the veil? Or if you get stuck in the veil, are you going to get attacked by these things or whatever well, they are? Because originally, didn't you get attacked? When I you were stuck in the veil? I Something know, bad maybe. would happen. Something bad happened when you were stuck in the veil. Huh. Because they had to pull you out. And I thought you took damage, but I can't remember. Now I'm like, now my head is like going, oh, is this their whole like subliminal thing that they were going to eventually like throw on us and like surprise you think this is all crazy you've been stepping up people's homes awesome like even if it's not intentional even if all this is complete conspiracy theory of like random (laughs) ideas linked together it's that's a whole story right there that someone can tell yeah so that was that that's been my big um uh yeah, like you said, conspiracy. Like I, I've like hooked all these things together, and like I like I even was thinking like how cool would it be if it was connected to Wraith right. somehow? Because that seems very Wraithy to get mad. You're in my home, Ugh. you know, and attack. It makes me think of the Avatar storm from Mage Revised, also, which mm. is like maybe this is a precursor to the Avatar storm because some of these folks went on to work on that. Yeah. What if? this idea that hey there's something between the veil or like within the veil maybe it's these avatars right Ah, so there lots of cool ideas there okay (laughs) um i was reading right before we uh started recording i picked this book up again and was like let me just read a random section and there's this whole section uh about exhibit 338 the antichrist serum (laughs) at the end here and i'm like okay like one why is it called that it's not clear why it's called that two um it may be a prison for the smallest talon of the worm itself thrasis thrice damned and i was like what what like no no that's amazing and also creepy and it's also unclear like this object exists but where is it kept it sounds like it's in like a museum or a lab or something it sounds like it because you would also think something like that would the the weaver would just be like i'm gonna put that on a shelf at my house right no one can touch it right so like it's out there somewhere you know and what would you do if you if a if a pc accidentally got it right yeah you know this would be a really cool worm garu and regular garu like bsd and guy and garu have to get together Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and then they come across this thing and then they've got to decide do we let them take it yeah 
uh, there's like there could be a whole cool storyline there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's again, this book is so filled with so many good ideas. Yeah, it it makes me wonder too. Is like maybe this is the last piece of the worm that's connect connected to its original like mission. Yeah. And if so, like maybe it's a way of healing the worm, like getting yeah. its talent if, back to it. If you if you free it. Are you helping the BSDs or are you helping the true worm? Right. Or, you know, and then, I mean, like, that's even, if that's the case, that's even greater because you could you see a bunch of BSDs going, ha ha, we've released the worm. Oh, crap. <laughs> right. Oh, no, we released the worm and now the worm is whole again. And it's like, what is going on here? Let me eat all of you yeah so that we can get rid of all this corruption you know or, or you know like i'm, I'm always about a, a good redump, redemption plot yeah could you yeah. imagine a bunch of dancers really like could you imagine a story of players going fine you guys want to play da- black spiral dancers here you go and having them release it and then it's a redemption plot because like yeah. the worm the worm goes i need the 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 uh the true worm goes I need warriors. Right. You're now my warriors. You're not a black spiral dancer. You're a whatever you would want to call them, you know. Right. Whatever you create from that idea. That right. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. like, this book is full of these. This book is full of like, oh, hey, random thing. Now let, we could talk for 20 minutes about this idea. And we're not, we're at page 61. We're halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. Because... It's just full of all of these different little hooks and sections and segments. Which brings us to chapter three, which the only time I have a problem with White Wolf books is when they have just no headings, no subheadings for three or four pages. (laughs) Yes. There's a section here which is three pages long and it's all text. Text, yeah, it's rough. And I've tried to read through this a couple of times, but every time I do, I'm just like, ugh, I get so, like, distracted by all the text. Um, yeah, I actually, I, I know what you're talking, that spread I know you're talking about, because I actually held it up to, to my husband as he was walking by, and he went, ew, <laughs> he kept walking. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's one of those yeah. times you don't want to have those too often in a role-playing game book because well, it's hard to read it. Layout is important. Yep. You know, our our eyes need to have physical breaks when looking at something. That's why when you're reading a book, sometimes you have to close your eyes just for a minute, not stop, you know, but just close your eyes for a minute or physically look at something else because yep. you're actually giving your eye a break from that wall of text. So. Yep. And particularly in role-playing game books where you don't expect someone to read from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And if you've got two columns, it gets really hard to read two column text for long periods of time. It's just remember like drop uh, a, I was going to say a GIF, but uh, whatever, drop a small image in the middle of that just to break it up a little bit. Well, that's people. even why we do the sidebars are actually really important too. Yep. Because while it's still just text, it's broken up differently and your brain processes it differently. Yeah. And it gives you a moment to be like, oh, I'm reading something different. 
okay, mm -hmm. now I'm going to go back to what I was reading before, or let me read all of this and then read this. And it, it helps the flow of you uh, absorbing all of this knowledge to do it that way. But I think this is a fantastic chapter. Um, if you're looking for smaller level antagonists to use in a chronicle, mm -hmm. um, it's a chapter about elementals, about net spiders and about the different um, creatures that the weaver uses to do its bidding. I think one of my favorite things is I, a long time ago when I was playing in a werewolf lark, when this book first came out, like I hadn't even picked it up yet, but the storyteller had. Mm -hmm. And he was so excited to introduce, because we were playing in Chicago and we were a city Karen. And he introduced glass elementals. Oh, nice. And all he did was we, we had to go out and kill a bunch of pigeons. Because <laughs> glass elementals hate birds. Yeah. And that was like, you know, if you kill a pigeon, I'll do what you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so ridiculous. It was, it was like, you know, you're doing all these like, crazy heavy ridiculous things and oh, you know anger 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 and then the spirit was like kill me a bird and we were like what and it released so much tension and it was so ridiculous and goofy and fun that you know like i think we forget because werewolf is such a heavy topic for a game you know the world is ending you're angry. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that there are moments of ridiculousness that make it worth it. You, you've got to see that silver lining. You've got to show your players that, that not only is the world worth saving, but that it's worth doing the effort to save, that the effort itself is worth it. Yeah. And so sometimes you've got to give players or even storytellers, if you're a player, you know, throw the, the bone to them of something you know not over the top ridiculous but you want something that's a little fun yeah know. yeah 100%. no you've got to because if you don't have those moments of levity and those moments of like of hope then mm -hmm. then you're ultimately you're going to be like burnt out from this game because you're like wow here i am like doing all this stressful stuff all the time and it doesn't become it doesn't stay fun and interesting and engaging right um and ultimately werewolf is a game that has hope in it it's hard to find it it's hard to see it sometimes particularly when you're fighting against something like the weaver but without it you're missing part of the point of the game yeah like i think vampire ultimately is about the descent into being a beast but werewolf is about there is a tiny sliver of hope for the universe. And if you can catch that and put it in a bottle and then let it grow. Yeah. Then you've done the right thing. Yeah. It's about rising above all of the, it's about holding on to that anger, but also being able to step above it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. That um, that was a good point, Carrie. Um, and I don't want to belabor the point, but there is a good section on drones in this chapter. Um, <laughs> so again, put that hope away and let's talk about drones. <laughs> talk, let's talk about losing all hope 
whatsoever. <laughs> because that's what drones are. Drones are basically yeah. a hopeless, like, this is what happens when the weaver gets a hold of you and just completely drags you down. Yeah, it's um, the Borg. Yep, it is. It's absolutely the Borg. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, the Borg are, are fun antagonists. You don't want to play one, though. Right, exactly. Which I mean, maybe you do, but I don't. I don't think so. But it's awesome that they give you these antagonists, and you're like, I don't want to play this for once. Like, yes. there are so many other antagonist groups in the world of darkness where you're like, I'd like to play that thing. It's like, mm -hmm. there's no reason you would ever want to play a drone because it would be no. horrible to do so. Like, take your character and just put a layer of gray on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What I find particularly great, though, is that there are drones of every creature type in the world of darkness in here so you've got wraith drones potentially you've got shapeshifter drones you've got vampire drones you've got mage drones you do not have changeling you drones. don't have changeling drums <laughs> they die when yeah. they become a drone but i disagree with that i would love to see a dantane drone I, but here's I think Dantain are drones. Okay, fair. Like, or, or the, their hatred is so strong that that doesn't work with a drone. That they have too much, like, personal energy to, like, give themselves yeah. up like that. I actually okay. don't think that that would, ha you know, like I said, I don't think that would work because I think they are so wrapped up in their own thing. Like, I think the Weaver would just go, whoa, okay. Okay. You, you go do you. Fair. So for folks that don't know, Dantain are anti-changelings, sort of. They are changelings that have turned their back completely on changeling existence and uh, have embraced banality as a weapon against they're their bitter. Let's just say it. They're bitter. Oh, they're, they're just incredibly bitter changelings bitter. Mm -hmm. who just want to end it all. Yeah. They're just they're like, just destroy all of the like world because then winter will come and it will be better when everything is just iced over, which is kind of weavery. It is. Absolutely. There are potential linkages there. White White Wolf is a cookie cutter universe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, you know, like all of the bad guys kind of fall on the same side even if they don't like each other. They their goals generally at least echo each other in yes. some way. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Yep. Okay, I only want to reference one more thing because I love it, and that's DNA, and I'm jumping DNA ahead, um, but I really want to talk about developmental neogenics amalgamated, or DNA. DNA as a villain is, they're one of my favorite villains uh, alongside like Sam Haight and the seventh generation. Mm-hmm. They believe that being a werewolf is a disease and they're trying to like understand that disease and wipe it out using genetic therapy to do so. Um, they are both like you, like understandable, like you can understand why they're trying to do what they're trying to do. Like I can actually look at them and go, your entire mentality and methodology is actually kind of, good in that they're trying to do what they perceive to be as a good but it's yeah. horrifying from a werewolf perspective well perspective. they're not bad guys they're villains right 
there's because there's a big difference because villains believe what they're doing is right yep and they're very much villains yep and they are one of my favorite villain groups in uh werewolf the apocalypse um just this idea of hey i found this kid that's got this gene that has this that what we perceive as a disease i'm going to try and help them oh wait their furry mad uncle is going to come and destroy me now because i've taken their kinfolk like yeah there's yes now we have to hear him too right (laughs) right yeah um what are your general thoughts about dna and them as an antagonist super fun there's super super duper fun i i would i would love to run them because i i love the idea of having your bad guys sit there and go with, with a clipboard. Can you tell me how that makes you feel? <laughs> right. You know, like, because there, there's this disconnect, especially in this book kind of with scientists, that scientists don't have empathy towards, um, towards their test subjects. And uh, either you need to embrace that fully you know, and have your, your DNA bad guys not believe that they are people at all or have real feelings at all or whatever. Or you get to play that sympathy card and make your players role play their asses off. Yeah, absolutely. To get one of the, to get one of the guards to finally decide to let their guard, you know, let their guard down to show you a mirror or what. And this book is also set where you need something shiny to cross into the umbra. Yep. That should be specified because that's a big deal. Yep. Um, and yeah, DNA is very fun. Yep. I like Agreed. DNA a lot. Um, I would actually take DNA and combine them with the uh, Valkenberg Foundation, which the Valkenberg Foundation is the first book with Sam Haight in it, yes. where there is this um, mental health facility for werewolves that have lost it. Mm-hmm the idea of combining those, these two things into one group where there's like, Hey, we've taken these people who we believe are mentally um, ill and they keep talking about these delusions of being werewolves and so forth and so on. And then they capture this kinfolk who is like, I can help you capture more of these people with this disease. Yeah. Would be a super cool story. Uh, It'd be a great way of using the Skinner in a really creepy way. Um, that would, I think, really make players kind of go, ooh, but also, like, understanding, like, there's all kinds of that, like, empathy, and, like, you can understand what the villain's motivations are, and then you realize there are villains upon villains within this, like, sub-story. It would be super cool. The only thing I would warn about, and this isn't a don't do it, but this is make sure that you're running something like that with the right group of players yep. that can handle that kind of thing because yep. you know mental illness is is a sensitive subject and should be yep. and uh anytime you're like and then we're gonna have a mental health institution Ugh. like i you know and i i'm i'm faulted i've done that before without making sure players are okay luckily yep. all of my players were fine with it but i should have asked beforehand Definitely. um and that's something that white wolf is not real um sensitive about because like in every genre they have they have some kind of you know changeling like that's all changeling is is yep. you know 
I'm going to throw you in a, you know, and you're like, no. Um, so that, that would be my only warning for doing something like that. Just make sure that you're running that with the, the players that want that. Yeah, double check, like get, understand what your player's boundaries are. Make sure you're not crossing those boundaries whenever you're running any sort of game, tabletop, LARP, mush, or anything in between to mm -hmm. steal a line from a podcast that I'm familiar with. What, what podcast would that be? I think it's called, uh, what is it called again, Carrie? It's called On a Roll. On a Roll Podcast. It's a great podcast. People should check it out. Um, okay. This is not a paid advertisement for On a Roll Podcast. <laughs> um but there, uh, that's is a great podcast. Uh, but yeah, whenever you're doing anything with your players, um, you should make sure you're checking in with them and that they're comfortable with the direction that you're going in. Um, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree and believe that that is really important. Any final thoughts on Book of the Weaver? Oh, I have so many. Oh my god. Okay, I know I made so many notes. It's okay. Okay, so. I, I, inst instead of going off on some of the other really cool plot things, I, I will, there's two things I want to bring up. Yeah. My favorite piece of art in this whole book is on page 105. And it is, it's, it's a DNA. No, not 105, I apologize. It is, of course, I'm not going to find it now. It is the picture 103. It's the picture of the Metis being fed. And the Metis has two faces, and one of them is a human face. Oh, yes. And it is just so pitiful and awesome looking. Because, I, you know, you always end up seeing Metis that are, like, have cute deformities. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and I mean, I've, I've, I've done it before. You know, we've all done it before. But, like, I love Metis that are grotesque. Metis that could not go out in public. Like... If you're going to play uh, the horror of being a Metis, it should be horror. Right. Like, it should be terrible. And, and like, this poor Metis has two faces, and on top of that, he gets ca captured by DNA. He's just having crap luck. Right. Talk about a horrible Someone life Someone go right save there. that poor Metis. Right. <laughs> like, right. He's like, dudes, come on. <laughs> like, poor, poor guy. But so that, that, and there's just something, you know, and like, even the way he's eating the food, like, he's just got a paw that he's like pulling, like, he's not even eating it like a dog, mm -hmm. like a wolf would. Like, so like, he's even like, just like everything about this poor guy is just terrible. And I feel so bad for him. And I want to hug him and I don't at the same time because gross, right. you know, and oh. but um, what's great about but that the is there's so many story hooks there. Sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. i just i love how many story hooks are in each of these pictures that is in this book yes yeah it you know a lot of the drawings feel like a lot of the art feels like someone played werewolf and then drew what happened to their character right you know like the, there's already a plot happening yeah you know and and that's really solid like everything about this book i'm pretty happy about yeah um but the other thing I wanted to bring up, and this is a, a tangent, but this is because my very first love in White Wolf was Changeling. Okay. Um, you know, I don't remember much of it any, you know, like, I remember concepts, but, like, I couldn't tell you, like, specific powers or anything like that anymore. Um, but I, the idea that the Weaver is the namer, 
Like that's that's the Weaver's biggest obsession is naming things mm-hmm. they talk about in this book. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about the the she. Because one of the she's big powers is they can name things. Yeah. And I thought, what a fascinating enemy for the weaver to not even know they had. And especially since the she are all little bastards anyway. Right. And, you know, they're, they're <laughs> like, I, I love the idea that, like, in all of the White Wolf universe, when everything comes down and the apocalypse is really happening, that like out of nowhere, the underdogs, the changelings come out of nowhere and with their last breath, they rename the weaver or do something ridiculous. Like, oh, you know, like, cool. and, like, I just like imagine like the werewolves just going, what? We, we didn't go to you because you're not an ally. You guys are just there, you know, and. I, I just, I feel like maybe there could be something really fun plot-wise, like a, a werewolf-changeling crossover game that okay. could be really neat. I mean, it would have to be very specific because the changelings would have to have that power. Um, and you would probably have to have Fianna in your werewolf side just to make it a little more make sense. But um, I don't know. I just, I thought that that combination isn't seen with the weaver very often that sounds awesome like the idea like there's all these groups that are called namers in the world of darkness like mages are called namers at some point the weaver is called a namer changelings have seining and uh all of that for the she and some of the other uh changelings can get that art or maybe it's a realm i'm not sure um the idea that they could all get together and if they got together and actually talked to each other and were like, Hey, if we did this big ritual, we could completely recreate creation yeah. um, would be amazing and would be super cool. That would be a super great like crossover game. But yeah. I also like to imagine the weaver as this lady with one of those label makers. <laughs> yeah. Labels <and> everything. <laughs> these are my beans and this is <laughs> this is basil just like we, we gotta hurry up before she ends up with her spice rack when she's <laughs> done <laughs> amazing um, alright so how many spiders out of ten would you give this book Carrie um so I'm going to do what I've, I've been doing lately, and I apologize. I'm going to give it two ratings. Okay. That's just what I do. I'm the wild. You can't stop me. <laughs> um, I believe as a player, this is a seven spider book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's good. It's got a lot of information, but I don't think, you know, it's good to have. I don't know that there's necessarily things for the players to play in it you know like there's no new there's no new gifts there's not really you know like all of the stuff on the glass walkers is mostly about cyber dogs which i don't think is really playable Mm -hmm. i mean it's good information for them to have if they've got glass walker lore or even weaver lore these things are good to know but i don't think that it is common knowledge but i think it's very fun i think it is a nine out of ten spiders for a storyteller 
Yeah. I think it's pretty essential. Yeah, agreed. Um, I would say it's, if I could give it like a 9.5 spiders out of 10, <laughs> I would give it that. Like it, there's nothing in this book that makes me go, this is, this was bad. You shouldn't have written this White Wolf. Yeah. Um, which is really surprising. But as we're getting into this late second edition era, revised era, I they're feel like starting to, they're starting yeah. to really get where, what they're trying to write. And more of these books are quality books, the, mm -hmm. like m the more we go along. Um, though we are going to be talking about some Wild West books uh, next time. So we'll see if that holds up uh, when we get into those books. But um, any final thoughts before we end it? Um, everyone should go get this book. Yep. It's it's it is if you are a werewolf gamer, I think it is an important book to have. Agreed. I think this is probably one of the and most I essential want books. To play an alien. Say that I again. Want to play an alien. Oh, I want, want to play, play an alien. alien. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a changeling book out on the Storyteller's Vault called Countless Dreams that allows you to play an alien that is a changeling. Oh no. <laughs> that this is not a paid advertisement, but it is an awesome <laughs> book. I was involved uh doing some like high level proofreading on it and some uh play testing, so I think it's really awesome. Can I play a Vajunka? Uh I don't think you couldn't. You probably could play a Vajunka. <laughs> All right. Like look at my glowing stuff. We don't know what the glowing stuff is, but I don't we'll... know what it is, but I have it. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> Gary, thank you for joining me for another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. Folks, if you are not liking us on Facebook, you should go to our Facebook page and like the page. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Werewolf. You can uh, like, review us, and so forth, uh, and things like that on iTunes. Please do that. Reviews help people find the podcast. You can leave comments on our Podbean site. Uh, but I will tell you this, I can't actually respond to your comments on Podbean. So <laughs> you can leave comments there all day long and I really appreciate them, but I'm never going to be able to respond to them because Podbean doesn't let me. Uh, and I apologize for that. Um, well, you respond out loud, but they can't hear you. I do. I actually talk to people while they're leaving comments and I go, oh, that's a really good comment. Thanks very much. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll never see anything from you. Never, they'll never hear it. Yeah, well, which is too bad because some of the comments on there are really awesome and <laughs> I would love to actually engage with them. Uh, come by the Facebook page. It is the best way to have a conversation because I'll be able to respond to you there. Um, and uh, yeah, so until we finally get an answer to when will you rage, we'll see you again next time.